This is the SEN Talks podcast from Galdard's SEN. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our second bonus uh, podcast um, about transfers, phase transfers. So um, our podcast today is about post-16. Now, um, you may or may not have listened to our secondary transfer podcast and the national deadline for secondary transfer is the 15th of February, but for post 16, so for the local authority to issue you with a final education healthcare plan and decision um, as to where your child and uh, teenager at this stage is going to be attending post 16 for the following academic year is the 31st of March, same deadline every year. Now, like secondary transfer, this again is another really scary time of the year. Post-16 transfer um, is is difficult for some of the same reasons with all the uncertainty, but also for different reasons as well. One of the main reasons for that is there are very, very limited places um, for children with SEN post-16. Now, you may be lucky enough that your child goes to a through school. And that includes post-16, 16, 17 and 18, so for sixth form as well. But again, there is a question mark because the local authority has to review the placement at that stage as well. Now, if we go a step back at this stage, Adam, you and I are always talking about future proofing the plan. And it's usually this stage where the importance of future proofing a plan is really highlighted. Um, what, What would you say to those parents who are maybe at secondary transfer stage, sort of year seven, year eight, maybe they've they've just gone through an appeal and local authority have conceded section I um, and they're thinking about going proceeding with sections B and F to get all of the the detail that they want in sections B and F in. They're not sure if they want to spend the money either with solicitors or on the independent reports, etc. What would you say to those parents at this stage? So I think it's about those sections. So the way an EHC plan works is it works on a cascade basis. So section B, which describes the child's special educational needs, informs the provision that child requires in section F. Um, So section F should be fully specified and quantified to outline all of the child's um, provision that they should be provided with. This includes how much specialist teaching they should have, how much therapy, but also the environment, the peer group, and class size that they should be educated in. Now, in some cases, local authorities will concede on section I, and the usual basis for it is either they don't have any other schools available which can meet need, or actually what you're asking for would probably cost about the same as them educating the child within their own um, school resources. But that means that the decision on section I has been based predominantly on parental preference. So in law, you have a parental right to nominate a school of your choice and everyone agrees that they can meet need and it's a reasonable public expenditure it should be named in section i so it's great when a local authority recognizes it and it's great where a parent say um, has their school named in section i before they appeal or are in the process of appealing and the local authority can see to the point but it's still really important that we kind of bridge the issues in section b and f to ensure that this is a plan which reflects the child's needs. Um, If we're looking at cascade basis, if we name a school that we want in section I, 
but section B is really vague about need and section F doesn't provide any provision. Then that child, I think, is at greater risk anyway on a yearly basis at annual review. If, say, there are um, policy changes in the authority and the local authority is trying to move students, say, back into certain provisions, yeah. that a child like that would be at more risk of that. Yeah. But also it's important when we're looking at kind of what the picture looking forward is. So what we'll be looking for for the post-16 education. So discussions in relation to that usually actually happen as early as year nine. And discussions at that point is what is the purpose of the plan? What are the objectives? What does this young person want to achieve in terms of their education and potential future career? Now, well, it's a really hard one because most kids um, in year nine don't know what they want to do when they're older. Yeah. I certainly had some very unrealistic expectations of where I wanted to be, for instance. But the important thing is we're having those conversations and we are essentially focusing people towards good qualifications, good skills, so they can live as independently as possible where it's possible and hold down a job or, you know, in some other cases to live with assisted support and maybe assisted job role. Um, yeah. But we, when we are at that year seven point and the local authority concedes an appeal, when we talk about future proofing, we're not saying that we're trying to um, overburden the plan. What we're trying to say is we want to ensure that the plan actually reflects what the child requires yeah. to ensure that the risks to them in the future, in the immediate future at the next annual review, um, is removed. Also, if the child is in the right setting but doesn't have the right provision, it can also um, put the placement in any event at risk because they won't be getting the right support, which means they're probably not going to be making the progress that they should be making. So they all lead into each other. In law, we say you can't decide placement without, um, without deciding need and provision. There's a good piece of case law which describes it as putting the cart before the horse, and I think we'll see that's a good example. So yeah. it's important. Um, it's not, you know, an absolute requirement, but I would always say to parents who are in that position, think very carefully about whether you withdraw your appeal or whether you want to resolve those issues. You can, through the the um, annual review process in any in an event, look at ensuring that the plan is more up to date anyway. But as many parents who are going through this process themselves will know, um, a local authority actually amending the plan on a yearly basis in most local authorities is actually very unlikely unless the child is in a year of transfer. So kind of dealing with it all at once is always, I think, preferable because you have the focus of the local authority. And if it's not resolved, you have the independence of the tribunal to address any outstanding issues. Yeah. Outside of an appeal situation, you're usually dealing with a case officer who has limited ability to resolve things and maybe their manager and maybe a internal SEM panel. Um, as we've discussed in many other kind of podcasts and uh, Facebook lives, often what those panels will do is not necessarily in line with the actual code of practice and the law. Um, so it could be quite restrictive of getting these plans to where they should be. Uh, I think that's a long way of answering that question. Sorry, Salsa. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's good. And you're right. I mean, I think probably in year nine, I think I had two options. I think it was lawyer or hairdresser, which are very two. There are two poles apart, but there you go. Um, I suppose they're both involved uh, talking to people and dealing with, with the members of the public a lot. But um, Judge, I think I'll tell you something for other funny. 
um, we had an assessment at our school to tell us what career choices you should do. And mine was either become a lawyer or become a librarian, which is a severely dyslexic person I thought was hilarious. But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. It's two polar opposites. Well, yeah. um, it's uh, pretty interesting. I think a lot of parents will, look, will laugh and maybe kind of look back and uh, what their what their child wanted to be when they were in year nine um and and think about this moment uh but i think um what what it also avoids because what we see time and again adam and what i see time and again for, for for sure is parents coming to me when their young their child their young person now um is sort of 15 16 and it's 31st of march and they've got a plan and the plan says in section i local post-16 college where there are 2,000 students in there in and out it's like a university and they say my son my daughter is just going to be like a rabbit in headlights they've been going to a special school for the past five years or they've been um, in a mainstream school with high support maybe a resource provision unit they say there's absolutely no way that they're going to be able to cope in this type of environment but also I don't know what to do because there's nowhere else for them to go and often we find that our children with SEN at that age tend to be a little less mature and they haven't quite caught up with their peers in 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 that respect as well so a lot of parents and young people themselves find themselves in limbo at that age so what would your advice be for for that parent kind of talking to me with with that kind of problem so i think it's it's always important to explore all options there are good colleges out there and i, I think we shouldn't can completely dismiss colleges but um you tend to find that something maybe more specialist particularly if they've been in that environment throughout their education it's probably the way to go but obviously it's dependent on the, the child's case so i think the kind of key elements that i'll be looking at again and we, it's interesting we discussed this when we're doing the podcast on secondary transfer is with post-16 placement there is a greater level of um, need for you to be independent and organize yourself and a lot of students um, with with special educational needs as you were saying, they mature a bit later, their skills are not there, and they may not be able to do that themselves. Also, they may have a number of other areas of their needs which need addressing, which the college day may not be able to cater for. So um, often college courses, you're actually in the, in the college for a lot less than you would be in a school. There's a lot less supervision, and then you're dealing with kind of becoming, I suppose, independent with your study. Um, so I think a lot of parents should look at that and think whether your child is able to do that yet, whether they can study independently of themselves, whether they need to have um, continued levels of pr provision, whether just doing a course and going to a college is enough. So really, you've got if you're looking at the college setting, I think it would be ensuring that the provision in the plan is is built around the child again or young person. So what what is the key things that we need here? to ensure that this person achieves to their potential with the courses they undertake. Mm -hmm. But are, are there other elements which still need to be addressed? So speech and language needs, um, motor and sensory needs, do we need to have those professionals coming in? 
we also need to kind of look at um, independent study skills to address those kind of elements of the child's needs and provision and look at how we can uh, kind of accommodate that. Um, college days are, are much shorter because they're usually around the course, but for a lot of the young people with special needs, that just simply isn't enough in terms of provision. So it's kind of looking at that and looking what's available. A lot of colleges in terms of how they address need is actually very similar to a mainstream secondary. So usually it's having learning support assistance available to support students. And for all the reasons why that hasn't worked potentially in the past for your young personal child, maybe all the reasons why it won't now. Embarrassment, maybe if they feel like they're being treated differently, yeah. feel like that type of support is not what's going to help address their needs and they might need a different approach. With other students, it may be that a college environment is a is a step too far at this stage. So they might need to be in um, a small environment. They may still need to have their um, key areas of teaching of their course de de um, delivered at the point of teaching by a specialist teacher. And they may still need to have an environment where um, they have specialist staff and, and therapists there to help address areas of development. So I suppose when we're looking post-16, it's developing those independent and life skills and developing those skills to live um, independently as an adult and I suppose to actually get into employment and hold down a job where that's not possible. It may be just looking at kind of developing smaller steps towards helping that person live as independently as they can or live with um, a, a much higher level support maybe in the future but be able to continue to develop those key areas like their communication and um, life skills. So I suppose for every parent, they should be considering with this, the post-16 colleges, what is the provision? Is it right for my child? Or am I kind of, again, putting my young person into an environment where I'm fitting them around the provision available rather yeah. than meeting needs? And I should say the Children and Families Act came in in what, 2014? I think um, post-16 obligations really have only been there with the colleges um, for a short period of time. So I think there's a problem with colleges, I think, still playing catch up with the law and their legal obligations. Um, previously, if you'd had a statement of special educational needs, the statement would only cover students who are remaining in full-time education up until 18, so in a school environment. The okay. students who went on to a college, the um, statement ceased to be maintained and it was much harder to legally enforce the um, um, a document that was in place at the time which the EHC plan has kind of covered. So it's great there's greater levels of scrutiny and greater levels of ensuring that uh, colleges and local authorities actually provide provision now but yeah. the problem is is colleges like most mainstream secondary schools and primary schools are basing their um, experience on very limited resources and very li limited kind of I suppose training and experience so they can be misinformed about the law and over their duties and also the provision they might be providing is very restrictive so again like anything you need to do as a, as a parent your homework probably with your young person because when they're post 16 the right of appeal um, so when they turn 16 the right of appeal is theirs Obviously, you as a parent are there to support them, but it's all about making a joint decision about what's the next 
best step in their education and what is required. Um, it may be due to capacity of maturity, that you as a parent will still take a great role at kind of um, helping that and assisting that person understand um, what is right for post-16 yeah. and maybe discussing how realistic the choices are to them and whether they're going to work. Um, so if you thought that your job as a parent at 16 was over and you're going to kind of get on with other things, really sorry, it doesn't end there. <laughs> it continues. So I think do your homework about post-16 placements. There is a lot of specialist post-16 schools and colleges that are very good at addressing special educational needs. Mm. Some of those schools and colleges also effectively um, support those students in um, in local colleges with kind of bespoke provision to ensure that they are able to access those courses and then come back to the college to address their other needs um, as outlined in their EHC plan. Yeah, that's something I was going to mention because it, it includes apprenticeships as well, doesn't it? So yeah. if we've got kind of, you know, some of our clients a little bit more hands on and they want to go do a carpentry uh, apprenticeship or um, some, something else along those lines, then um, that is something that's open to them. And the EHCP still does cover that. Yes, absolutely. And um, actually, there could be a lot of a need for a pre-teaching of those types of courses that mm -hmm. I never really un um, understood. So. One of the students I work with actually on their post-19 education was doing some um, foundation painting and decorating courses. Okay. The terminology and the language being used would have been a, completely over my head. Um, I had no understanding what any of that meant. And if you're dealing with someone who, say, has speech and language disorders or, or communication issues like that, accessing something like that, which is just you're kind of expected to know it, can be really overwhelming and it may need a lot of pre-teaching so having that kind of um, specialist school environment or specialist college environment where you could do a lot of that pre-teaching and then go on to do your course with the um, the college or a specialist school or college supporting you can ensure that that young person is actually accessing it and is actually able to achieve to their potential so you know it, it it's really important to look at those aspects a lot of parents who would say might have a dyslexic um, student might think, well, they've achieved at GCSEs. Um, there's not so much. There's there's not much you can really teach them anymore about um, being within a specialist environment. So we're going to try the the post 16 college. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the kind of thing to take on board there is maybe they have achieved in their GCSEs but they may not have those core skills that their peers just naturally have. So the organisation skills, the independent study skills, uh, again, the terminology of the language being used. Yeah, so it might be important. that adjustments are required within a college setting, or it may be that it's just a bridge too far up this stage. It doesn't mean they won't get there, but it might be later on. And I suppose one of the main and one of the most brilliant things about the EHC plan, and we always moan about it, I think, is... It does cover colleges and schools to 18, but also it also continues after that up until 25. So yeah. if a student stays within um, a college or school education, it can potentially last until 25. If they go to university, it does come under a different system and the plan will stop, cease to be maintained. But it does mean that students have longer to kind of, I suppose, address their issues um, in terms of their major areas of difficulty but also develop the, the independent and life skills that they may develop later. So yeah. 
think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's really yeah. important as well to to remember because education obviously is defined as anything that educates and trains. Yeah. So that includes learning independent life living skills and learning how to take care of yourself or live by yourself and um, you know depending on the the the, cir- the individual circumstances of everybody um then it can carry on until they are 25 in order to teach them that so they can live an independent life yeah i mean it, this wasn't available when i was at school and i always say to clients when i talk about um post actually 19 education i i went on to university i i did get a 2-1 in, in my degree and do pretty well but i was very fortunate that I had a sister who's an educational psychologist, which is rather helpful, and a, a father who himself is dyslexic. So I had people around me who could provide me with a good support network and assisted me in that that stage. If I didn't have that, in all honesty, I didn't have the maturity as a, of, for a student going to university. I didn't have the organisational skills. It was pretty overwhelming. And I think a lot of uh, neurodiverse students, so high functioning autistic students, dyslexic students or students with speech and language disorders, I think they will also experience that. So maybe being able to do a a foundation course at a college, for instance, before you go into university and continue to develop those independent skills is Mm -hmm. a better way to go than overwhelm someone. Um, Both me and you, Salah, have done university work. A lot of university work where, say, students are um, not reaching their potential in their exams or being unfortunately withdrawn from universities. A lot of it has to do with students with special educational needs where they've been too embarrassed to ask for support or yeah, being so overwhelmed. That. Yeah. And then, then you're kind of addressing the issue when it's almost got to the stage where it, it you're kind of dealing with a whole world of issues at that stage, whereas, you know, with the EHC plan, it might be taking it incrementally slower at that slower pace might be the best way forward, really. Yeah, firefighting as opposed to fireproofing, and it's um, a lot more stressful situation to be in, I suppose. So, um, yeah, it is very difficult. Um, I think the the important thing to remember, again, like with secondary transfer, with post-16 transfer, um, don't fret when you get that final education and healthcare plan. There is a right of appeal. Your deadline to appeal is the same as before. You've got two months from the date of your letter, your final plan um, to appeal. You have to get a mediation certificate as well. Um, so you can extend it to three months um, at, at a push if you if you time it correctly. Um, but it's the standard kind of there's not a different appeal route. The appeal process and procedure is the same. So you can listen to Adam and I's podcast about um, appeal procedure and how how to go through the, the steps of that. You can um, instruct lawyers or do this yourself. You can have advocates do this for you as well. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole range of options for you. But like um, like Adams explained um, in great detail and very helpfully, may I add, probably um, the best thing to do is to prepare well and to make sure from a couple of um, sort of when you're coming up to that post 16 transfer stage. You start having the discussion with your child, with with the young person. Where do you think you might want to go? What do you want to do? What are you interested in? Um, and then start doing your research and doing your homework and find somewhere to focus your attention on, um, on potentially focus the appeal on. And it may be that if you start getting that 
messaging in and start having those conversations with the local authority in the annual reviews um, leading up to the uh, post 16 issuing then you may not even need to appeal it may be that the, the the college or the the post 16 apprenticeship or whatever it is that you want is named and, and you avert the whole thing um as a whole but i think same advice as before do you think there's any other advice you can give give parents at this stage yeah so obviously keep in mind that 31st of march deadlines so that's when the local authority must name your post 16 placement in the EAC yeah. plan. I find that a lot of local authorities do not do it by the state and you may have to chase them on it and you may have to look at threatening something we call um, pre-action judicial review um, which actually we talked about at the end of our last podcast on uh, secretary transfer so have a have a listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important thing is again to start thinking about this early. So start thinking about this really around about year nine, if not slightly before that, Sense. and have a focus on where we, where you're going with your young person's education. What is the aspirations? Because they become really important from around year nine onwards in terms of their education and the future employment. Is this EHC plan moving towards this? Um, are they able to, I suppose, cope with their kind of local college provision? Um, or if you took their needs as a whole, do they need to continue within a more specialist environment? And I think, again, we, we talked about this in the in the second transfer um, podcast is just because your child has done well, say at GCSEs or is doing well academically, you've got to look at the whole of the young person. So you've got to look at all the areas of their needs and work out whether all of those are being addressed, whether there are significant difficulties. So that's communication interaction, that's um, physical and sensory, that is mental health, that is also life and independent skills. So you can have someone who's doing very well academically, but actually, if you took that out of the equation, is significantly behind in all of the other areas. So it's always important to look at that when looking at post-16. Also, dare I say, is your young person being being realistic about the next stage of their education. Obviously, we have to respect what they're saying, but I think part of of being um, a good advisor to to parents as well as young people is looking at whether we're there yet at what they want. It might be that that's later on. As we say, the the EHC plan can last until 25. So maybe a, a further education college is the route that might be post 19 it might not be for the next two years or so and I think that's yeah. the kind of key thing to look at yeah and it actually says in the code of conduct as well doesn't it in the year nine annual review you, they um you need to the local authority they being the local authority need to have a look at preparing for adulthood and mm-hmm. start planning for preparing for adulthood as well and you find that some local authorities have a preparing for adulthood department that look at that in the round some do some don't it depends on your local authority but um, in year nine um, annual review you should be asking that question we're thinking about post 16 local authority what are you doing about it this is what we started to look at Um, you find a lot of the time with the local authority that um, they may just be paying lip service to it they may be genuinely focusing on it they may have just forgotten because they're so overworked. Um, So it's always, I find, better to lead the horse to water as far as is possible. 
That's good. I was going to say take the ball by the horns, but um, that's better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. And I think the other thing is, is if you're the decision maker, you, you'll usually be looking at the public purse and be wanting to spend as little money as possible. So that is always going to be at the back of, um, I think, a lot of local authority case officers head is, is this child ready to go to a college setting? Um, is this going to be cheaper than what they are being receiving at the moment? And they'll be putting the services available in the local office uh, offer first, rather than what's necessary to meet your young person's needs. So like all of this process has taught us, parents as always are going to have to take a lead at ensuring that what's coming post 16 is appropriate, basically. Yeah, you advocates, you warriors, all of you, honestly, um, you do a fantastic job and some of the stories I hear for parents fighting tooth and nail for their children it's just I'm I am in awe um so uh well done to you guys um as ever if there is um we, we always do Facebook lives around this uh, around this time so re-watch the one that we have done if you want to ask any specific questions we do offer free initial consultations for uh for 30 minutes so um please get in touch with us if you feel like you need some more in-depth detailed um guidance and look forward to seeing with you best of luck and fight on thanks everyone Thank thanks you.